Welcome to the LearnMaker Podcast. These are not the apps you're looking for. A in-depth series exploring how teachers can improve learning with technology. Welcome to another episode of These Are Not The Apps You're Looking For. Today, we're going to be looking at developing digital pedagogy in your classroom. I'm Jay. And I'm James. And we're going to kick off with a bit of experience about a project that we were involved in over the last month. So this took place in Germany, wasn't it? So yeah, it's the, let me get this right, the MTTEP conference. It's pretty much it. Mobilizing and Transforming Teacher Education Pedagogies. So a bit of a, a bit of a mouthful. So this is a uh, it's a European funded project, isn't it? So I think Erasmus Plus funds. Yes, yeah, that's it. So the guys who typically are sending students all over the world um, are funding this project for IT, and it's focused on um, developing like a pan-European strategy. Although there is a university from Australia in it, of how we uh, as a as Europe can better equip our teachers, so our trainee teachers and our newly qualified teachers, uh, to work in classrooms full of technology. Yeah, and it's it's led by um, Kevin Burden at Hull University and his team. Um, so he's the guy um, that's been doing quite a lot of research on mobile um, learning across the UK, well across Europe as well. Um, so yeah, so he he was hosting it um, in a in Stuttgart. Oh no, it's outside Stuttgart. Karlsruhe. Room. Yeah. So yeah. the German home of digital pedagogy, which was both new to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a nice little learn maker field trip. It's fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's over two days um, with loads of presenters and loads of universities showing off their, their ideas. And the, the main focus for this particular one was iBooks and using digital um, sort of immersive textbooks, if you like, interactive mm. books um, and how they go about doing that and where the project's going to go in the future. Yeah. So the uh, the quote I liked from this, especially in terms of digital books, is that um, there's just a distinct difference, isn't there? So you can have um, a digital book, which has interactive elements, or you can have a digitized book, which yep. is a textbook that's been flattened into a PDF and put on a tablet. And what it was looking at is that how do we get into the realms of digital books? So things that have active... Uh, resources in rather than just the passive learning which is you know words on paper images text and charts yeah and stuff yeah. like that it's even looking at the actual definition of a book um you know and, and and where these things can actually go which is rather interesting yeah so what did you find as the key takeaway from this point james about these uh digitizing or digital resources and books in particular so what I quite liked was Hull University do quite a few um, interesting things with their initial teacher trainers, um, training courses. Um, one of the, the lectures I went to was um, from one of the professors uh, who teaches history and primary teaching with history. Mm-hmm. Um, and their approach is quite interesting. So they go on, obviously they go on field trips um, and they go to all the locations um, around the Somme and have a look at that. And one of the really cool things that got me with that was they gave their students... Um, soldiers who had fallen, but yep. relating to their surnames. Yeah. So it added that element of sort of personalization to it. But what they had to do is they had to go around and they only used a very minimal amount of apps. So they only used the camera app built into their mobile device. It just happened to be iPads. Yep. They had to use the camera and they just used Book Creator. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And they went off and then they had to produce a whole interactive book. 
Um, and, it, you know, they weren't given any training on, well, very minimal training on the apps, very minimal training on the device, but they had to go out and, and do these things. But what was really interesting was not only did the students have to do that as part of their assessment and the main part of the unit was actually made up of making this book, yeah. but also the way that they were taught was through the book. So this professor basically laid out the whole um, field trip on a digital worksheet um, and it all worksheets tied together with a book and all the interactive elements it was it was fantastic yeah um so for me that kind of you know showed that the possibilities and because it was done within the first couple of weeks of term mm -hmm. this is students that have just started university they've gone off they're going to another country so they haven't got the wireless they haven't got all the technical you know support around them from the university yeah and they had to go and create all that stuff and i'm just thinking well that's really where most schools are at with their with their devices if that can be done with initial teachers that are have you know very green to everything mm -hmm. what can be done with teachers that have the experience have the worksheets already and all those resources you know it's pretty exciting really yeah so it's, it's active versus passive isn't it yep um yep and when you think so going on a field trip it's probably one of the well in one respect it's very active uh activity but then there's a lot of variables in it yeah. that you know would scare a lot of teachers so when you think about you know you go around some battlefields you got the weather to contend with yeah geographical conditions you know the kids are excitable all these things um it's probably much easier to do creative elements in the classroom i'd probably say sometimes yeah and you say about the active and the passive when you actually look at that that element one of the things with you know sort of stereotypical field trips is where they have a booklet or a sheet that's either provided by the company or provided by the place that you're visiting you know museums and stuff or even you know teachers have those yeah yes there's learning going on and yes they're doing it and it's active they're physically doing something but it's actually the learning that's going on the thought process the cognitive element of it is that actually active or are they just ticking boxes and filling it yeah. with that example the students had to go and get the shots. They had to limit everything. It was all time limited and shot limited, mm -hmm. you know, and then they were constantly looking for the content. So they were talking continually. And of course they had like a, a crew of sort of technicians, I suppose, following them around documenting this. Yeah. And the conversations that came up was stuff that you wouldn't really imagine students of any age or ability coming up with because they were having to go, well, I'll film this and you do this and this is what you've got to say and this is where you're going to do this. And it was it was way more active in every sense than just having a clipboard with some paper on it. And again, it come, that comes back to the, the the whole point of this was it was looking at the the not only the way that you deploy it, but also what sort of learning processes are involved. Yeah, so that that's going into the realm of um, so obviously it's student centered learning, learning, isn't it? Yeah. But it's uh, it's touching on the realm of what's called metacognition, which I think is fascinating. And this is basically so self reflection, and it's one of the most powerful traits you can have because unless you're able to self reflect and self evaluate the work you produce, and it's very difficult to improve. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges I think a lot of schools don't really realize is that. It's all well and good having students create work and then have a teacher market. But what do you do if the students don't value that, that feedback? Yeah. You know, it's very easy for the students to read it and, you know, look like they are going to action it. But how often does that actually happen? You know, whereas with their own work, they're having to be selective. So they're obviously going on this field trip. They are, you know, recording loads and loads of data, but then there's a set. And, and this is where the teaching element comes in. So the activities frameworked and scaffolded, you know, the teacher is, um, they've told the student what they want. So what competencies they're looking for. And then it's up to the student to select what they feel will best represent that. Yeah. And that is totally transforming 
you know, of what can often be, you know, a passive task, even though you're outside and it's active, like you say, a lot of field trips, you know, you, you're taken around by a guide, very knowledgeable expert in, his, in that, backed up by a lot of worksheets. And then generally you go back into the classroom and that's when you then have the discussions. Yeah. Yeah. Outside exactly. of the environment. Yeah. Not live. And it's, yeah, always looking back. <coughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And um, I think the bit I liked about that was the personalization of it. So given students a name, yeah. of you know someone who's got the same surname because basically so so many people unfortunately died at this battle you know it's very hard to find the name that uh you know isn't going to match with one of your yeah, students isn't going to touch touch a, somebody yeah and it really personalized because i remember seeing the video because i didn't attend that session i think it was in another one uh with dutch schools using flip learning um but yeah i remember seeing the video at the end and a lot of the students actually broke down and cried oh yeah 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 it's really which, emotional you know, but then this is the interesting thing. So within that presentation, obviously, that they were saying, well, look, you can question at any time and put your hands up. And one of the things, yeah. rather interesting, so all these academics in the room from around the world, and one mm -hmm. of the things they couldn't decide on was what the definition of personalized meant. Yeah. So, of course, you had people that, and again, it, you know, obviously, as English is a second language to some people, the words can get translated differently. But mm -hmm. the, the, the fundamental thing was, yeah, having a device in someone's hand and they're taking photos and the exercise mm -hmm. is personalized, but... Are they getting a personal attachment to it? And you know, and then it came down to, well, every student has a camera now, and it's not like old times when you used to have a film and you could take 35. Now you can take a hundred and how personalized is it? Yeah. But I think the point is is that with the the task it's personalized, but also the way that they complete the task. Yeah, they were only allowed a certain element of or certain number of apps, but it's how they shared each other's work with each, you know, on yeah. the fly, airdropping things to each other and this kind of stuff. Yeah which I think is way more personal than or personalized than, you know, just giving them worksheets. Yeah. And you're going to get 30 different uh, yeah, pieces yeah. of work, aren't you? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, whereas with a worksheet or something that's more frameworked or scaffolded, yeah, the, that breadth of work is probably going to be more, more narrow. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. And I was quite <clears throat> disappointed because obviously we didn't get to pick what sessions went and did we were sort of allocated. And um, the session I attended was about uh, flip learning in a Dutch school. Um, and those guys had used it for physics. So basically they just transformed their, their physics, um, the, I think the, the equivalent of their A-level. Okay. And basically, so the, the students came into the class, they worked collaboratively in groups, which I thought was, was very cool. So three or four to a group. Uh, and then they had all the resources already on there. So the school had produced a number of iBooks um, for each module. The students would come in, they'd review that together in their groups and then they'd work on the tasks in there and that freed up the teacher so it's classic flip learning freed yeah. up the teacher to go around and uh, challenge understanding and you know delve deeper at the point of learning rather than trying to actually deliver the content um and that was very good uh, but wasn't that groundbreaking i've seen that you know yeah, flip yeah. learning is yeah. quite embedded it might be interesting just to go through like the, the, the concept, the basic concept of flipped learning is to yeah. take the easy stuff out of the classroom. So in a typical science lesson, if you're thinking about I don't know, the heart, you yeah. know, rather than coloring in the diagram and labeling it up in the lesson, you take that out, but then actually you work against, you know, the, the misconceptions in the lesson. So, you know, which direction does the blood go, you know, these kind of things and where the valves are and that kind of stuff, the more complicated stuff is done inside the lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds, that sounds pretty cool. But again, you know, these things are being done internationally, but not necessarily in the UK or, you know, mm. those kind of things. I found it quite interesting, actually, because obviously we went um, and we came from, so the 
the project's made up of a load of different components, isn't it? So it's it's re- research basis. So Kevin Burden at Hull and some other um, some German universities and a Norwegian one, I believe. Then it's got some in the field teachers. So on the, you know on the front line, so uh, classroom teachers using iPads or mobile technology. You've also got the NQT element there. So I met a lot of those guys. Um, but then, so we were there sort of representing the sort of commercial sphere. Yeah. So one of the things that they recognize, which is, which is quite interesting is that obviously changing, changing the culture of this and the long term, how do we ensure we develop teachers with the required skills to go into a classroom full of iPads? You know, it does require sometimes more than the institution uh, has expertise uh, has expertise in so yeah. we were looking at how sort of our projects overlap and how commercial entities would work with educators in in that sense <clears throat> that was quite interesting i thought yeah and you know one of the other focuses was because it was geared around the initial teacher training element to it so yeah. of course all this had when we came back and did the, the sort of main um sort of presentations the main keynotes of it both the days it was all geared around the students and there were some really interesting bits with that um, one of them was um, Sean from the University of Galway. So he came up with, um, he presented what he does with his students. It's the only school in Ireland that's 100% Gaelic. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything's delivered within it. And just the, his presentation style to start with, uh, being the, you know, the sycophant that I am, his presentation style was amazing to start with. But some of the content within that, you know, the fact that, again, they, their students created um, iBooks to completely change the way that the, the, the student teachers, students would learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, saying, well, actually, you don't need a whole lot of kit to be able to do it. So he had literally had two iPads yeah. and that was it. Then they, they produced a whole book. Um, and the, in fact, actually, I think what we need to do is we need to stick that book link uh, yeah. on there. Yeah, get that in there. Um, so but, Sean's, you know, Sean's very interested, isn't he? So obviously the work he's doing is is groundbreaking. And um I thought the trip alone was worth it just to, because I hadn't heard of Sean or met him before. Um, I obviously watched his keynote, but we also, uh, we traveled back with him on the train. So we, yeah. we got the same train back to Stuttgart. So it gave us a chance to pick his brains. And it's quite interesting actually, because it, it, we found that, or I found certainly that a lot of his best practice was born out of failure. And this is something I find quite interesting is generally the most successful people or businesses or institutes in the world generally fail their way to success so they try yeah. a number of different things and they find it doesn't work so they look for another another example of it um i just finished reading a book at the moment called black box thinking and it talks about james dyson and how he created think, over 1700 um test models of the dyson vacuum cleaner before he launched it yeah yeah and that's why it went on to become this huge success and what sean was saying so they embarked on that road because they speak gaelic um, gaelic in the school no one's making any resources for it. So the simple fact was they went out to find some resources. They found that no one was making it because it's a very niche language. So they had to go and make their own. Yeah, it was necessity, yeah. 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 Um, and then they looked at how to use the iPads more innov- innovatively. Yeah. Right word. Yeah. Um, nailed it. Simply because they didn't have this huge IT budget. So they, they weren't able to go out and buy, you know, loads of flip cameras, loads of class sets of iPads. They were allowed to you know, get a handful and then they really had to make a case of why they'd be useful. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was very interesting because they stripped away. So again, Sean's not about apps. He's about process. 
Yeah, it was the paring down of all of it, wasn't it? You know, yeah. the fact that there wasn't enough money to, to go out and do all these things. So it was literally whatever came in the box was, yeah. was what he had to build his course around. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, and it just goes back to that point that we talk a lot about. It's obviously learning first, technology second. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think what Sean was you know, sort of hinting at and saying was that, you know, the, the iPad is delivering everything he needs it to do. Uh, it's, it's working brilliantly. But that's not because it has an Apple logo in the back. It's because it has all these functions. And when you pull them apart, it links to teaching here and there. It links to support in this aspect. Yeah. You know, he, he remains out of the sort of fanboy loop that sometimes people get caught in. And because of that, he's not, um, you know, he's not app focused. Yeah. That's which true. is the right way to look at it. Yeah. And yeah. And, and coming from that, cause obviously he trains, uh, initial teachers and, you know, and he was, you know, the, the processes that bore down were boiled down. They were like the kind of sticky resin of like perfection, weren't they? The, yeah. the one that really got me was, um, there's an awful lot of, especially training schools that are now, and schools, secondaries that are looking at this video um, analysis. And again, going back to what you were saying right at the beginning of analyzing yeah. yourself and videoing yourself and, you know, being quite critical. Mm-hmm. Loads of schools buying this wonderful expensive stuff that sits on a tripod. You buy the kit, it all comes in a nice glossy box. It links to some sort of web-based cloud wonderment. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has a login and it's all personalized. Uh, and you spend tens of thousands of pounds on this stuff and it follows you around the room and, you know, and he's the answer that he had was quite simple. Is all this, all his trainee teachers had iPads. They all had Apple IDs that were at the highest level of security of all of the cloud-based things. You've got two-point authentication. Mm-hmm. The latest devices have thumbprints to personalize it. And rather than spending all this money on that, all he did was get his students to share an iPhoto album. Yeah. And that, for me, I just sat there going, God, this is so good! Mm-hmm. Um, because... Then you've got the teacher, the mentor, Sean, with his album, and he can see all his students' um, shared albums. And if a student records themselves on their iPad with a beanbag, just holding the iPad up, or even Bluetack in some cases, mm-hmm. just to record the lesson, if they want to, they can just drop it straight into the album and then discuss over the top with some, you know, sort of text message style, iMessage style chats. Or if they really want to, they can stick it into iMovie and then narrate over the top. Yeah. And that's no more than the cost of the device. And it's already built in and it was just, oh, so good. Yeah. So and good. I like the example he showed us. So um, he showed us one of his NQTs or, or ITT students um, teaching a science lesson and she recorded herself and then narrated over the top. And what was interesting was, you know, she mentioned that she had a sort of, when she was present, she had a bit of a, you know, a nervous tick where she tapped the pen on her, on her leg repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. But she'd never noticed this until she filmed herself. Um, and that was interesting. But then the other interesting aspect was, so she'd ask a rhetorical question. Uh, so, you know, teaching a, a, an experiment where chemical reactions take place. And she'd say, oh, you know, so what do you think is going to happen here? A short pause, then she'd answer the question every time. Yeah. And over, you know, because they do six of these a year, so one for each term. Um, I think over the course of them, she obviously recognized it, evaluated it, and then worked on removing it from her practice. Yeah. The, the, the key for me with this and, and being in schools, you know, working in schools where they have these systems mm. um, was always or is always that it becomes part of a, it's, it's seen as S, from SLT as a kind of wonder solution. You know, we're going to video these lessons. You don't have to have observations. You can, you can have one of these videos. And then, of course, the staff are thinking, yeah, but where does all this go? And you can yeah. still log into the cloud and get it anyway. So what happens is you have this bookable resource that nobody really books out. 
you know, sometimes the SLT go, right, we need to incentivize. So what we'll do is we'll buy some chocolates, we'll buy some alcohol, we'll say for the first five people that do it, you can have this. Yeah. But there's, that's great and it gets somebody using it. But actually, it's not about the, the app. It's not about the device. It's actually the process behind it. And what Sean nailed perfectly was the fact that it was all to do with the mentoring process. Mm. And it was to allow him to talk better or more frequently or, you know, cleanly to his students yeah. rather than sitting down with them at a meeting that's all a formal and all that kind of stuff. It's very much... It's the person's device. They're recording themselves on the device. If they don't want me to see the lesson, that's perfectly fine. They can record another one. But when they do want me to do it, I can get in and mentor them quickly. And it was all his process of mentoring and not the device. Yeah, so the way that worked, wasn't it? So when you create uh, an iCloud shared, um, what's it called? Uh, iCloud uh, album, shared album. Yeah, shared album. So you invite other people to contribute to it. So they can, obviously, the, the logical thing is that you share photos with it. But the hidden feature in it is that you can comment on other people's videos and photos. Yeah. So what Sean had used this for was so when his ITT students were uploading their um, their videos, you know, sometimes they'd narrated over it and they'd add some notes. But that meant as you know, as soon as that goes live, it pings off on Sean's device. You know, he can pick it up if he's in the institute, if he's at home or in the coffee shop, and he can instantly give some feedback just yeah. w- within the app, all locked down, all secure, and that evaluation process begins the improvement i think one of the difficulties or one of the problems i'd say with you know a lot of these systems in schools that video and film um it's got the features so all the features are yep it records the lesson you know you get great sound quality you might follow you around the room they're all features but where do the benefits come because what is missing is that evaluation process yeah it's the mentoring element yeah so i'm not aware that any of these systems have any they don't have any real-time feedback or annotation built in. So you have to take those files. You have to import them into something like iMovie or Windows Movie Maker. And then you've got a narrator over the top of them. Yeah. But then also there's no function to have this real-time conversation. Yeah. And the, the other thing, so, you know, now now we're sort of delivering these kind of things in schools and looking at sort of staff support and SLT management and these kind of things yeah. is what happens in a situation when that member of staff moves to another school. Mm-hmm. So 80% of schools, primaries in the country have iPads. So they yeah. all have Apple IDs. So if I'm a primary school teacher and I've been doing some mentoring with you, you're my men- mentor and I'm your mentee, mm-hmm. um, and I move to another school, I might want to take that those videos and attach yeah. that to another staff. So That's all I've got to do is just delete the Apple ID, your Apple ID, and add my new mentor's Apple ID. Yeah. Part Whereas, of ongoing professional development. Yeah, and it's and but it's and it's all yours and it's all on your Apple ID, which is which is brilliant. Um, so yeah, no, there's some there's some really good bits of that. A fantastic guy. What we'll do is put those again. Put those kind of links into yeah. The, into and I'm the, I'm sure we'll write a sort of dedicated blog on this. Yeah, alone. do some tutorials and stuff. I think that'd be quite good. Um, so that was on the so so the content creation end, wasn't it? So then the other side of this conference um, was about so digitized books. Um, yep. And how these can be used. So obviously, yeah, these these are nothing new. So everyone, well, most people, I imagine, are familiar with ebooks. Um, and I think it's just important making the distinction so about what an ebook is and what a digitized book is. So an ebook is generally um, it's basically a PDF. So you've got your Amazon Kindle or your basic iBook. Um, instead of picking up a, a paper-based book, you pick up your Kindle and you read it on there. So there's not really any added functionality. You know, it's like for like on a different device. Yep. Um, digital books, on the other hand, allow you to incorporate uh, questions, surveys. Um, little widgets in 
put videos, photos, 3D models, rendering, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's adding a huge amount of functionality and giving you something fresh and unique, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's like, um, it's like if you imagine in, in Carter, yeah. um, but like times 10. You yeah. know, it's just uber cool. And so what we looked at on this was, you know, obviously a lot of these books exist. And um, so the publishers are all getting in on the action. So there's tons and tons now of, of um, educational uh, electronic books. But what we were looking at is, so how can teachers create them themselves? Because again, on most devices, this is a function that exists for free that perhaps isn't being exploited yeah. um, to its full potential. Um, so on this one, the uh, the project had, so the Stephen Peirce Foundation came in. So if you're not familiar with these guys, so it's an independent school or group of schools in Cambridge in England. And these guys have moved towards uh, a sort of fully digital resource base haven't they so they make their own books yeah they've, they've pretty much got their own publication company house right. inside um yeah in, inside their staff so they have a team dedicated to creating yeah. uh, this content for teachers or you know, in partnership with their teachers yeah so that what they so they gave some interesting facts actually so um they produced a whole load so all their i think gcses and a couple of other i think they do the e-back as well yeah um they're all available in iTunes or iBooks. Sorry, they're available in iBook Store, uh, totally free. So you can just download them as another school and see what they created. But obviously, the benefit for them is that that material is customized to their their sort of flavor of the curriculum. Um, so it's not as valuable if you download that as another institute because yeah, it's got not tailor made. Yeah, but um, yeah, you're right. So they've got a sort of mini publishing house. So they've got. Um, can't remember what a, a job title was but they've got someone who sort of looks after content creation so they basically farm all the resources off the teachers so the teachers submit various elements and then they have a dedicated individual uh, who's not teaching staff and she creates them develops them into books and makes them all uh, nice and makes it work and possible um but she shared some interesting stats so she said it takes 25 hours to create an average book at which stage there was a, a big sign in the room yeah but then she discussed the process that uh, Stephen Peirce Foundation followed. And it's you know, quite a logical one, really. So she said, you know, for example, if there's five teachers on your GCSE course, it takes 25 hours to make a book, you basically split up, you allocate slots to, to um, different teachers. So rather than one teacher creating the book, taking 25 hours, five teachers working it collaboratively, and they all spend five hours each. <clears throat> I think what she said was, again, there's more size about that because it's additional time. Yeah. above and beyond your teaching. But um, she said what they found with their teachers was that they were happy to commit that time to have that bespoke resource because five hours in the scheme of an academic year wasn't that much to have this, you know, bespoke resource for their students and their yeah. sort of flavor of the course. I think, and it, it, it worked very well for them because they're, you know, they're direct, they're already down that, that route. Yeah. Um, I think the difficulty with, with, a load of schools, and I can imagine people at the other end of this podcast going, "Yeah, it's not going to work." Um, is again, it's it's finding time and savings elsewhere. It's you know cutting down mm. the the meetings and cutting down these other things to to make this to make this work for them. Um, but you know, again, looking at their books and looking at the way they've done it, it works really well. Yeah. Um, and the fact that once those books are out there, rather than reprinting um, the handouts for the next year or reprinting all those things, then spending all that money doing yeah. all of that and the time organizing it all they have to do is edit a few paragraphs or change a question here and there click publish and then all of the copies update automatically 
Um, so, you know, the, the savings are, yeah, in the short term, there's, you know, maybe a, a few sort of barriers to get round, but in the long term, the savings could be quite a lot. Yeah. And so again, this one, I think has to be driven. So we tried to, we tried to play at this before, haven't we, with schools and trying yeah. to get them to develop their own digital resources. And the challenge is always time. So I think this one has to be driven by the leadership team. Obviously, the Stephen Pearce Foundation, you know, from the head right the way down, yeah. their whole leadership team is committed to this vision. Um, I think if you take this on as, you know, a department leader or even, you know, a, a classroom teacher, it's difficult because trying to get that time can only be made possible by someone, you know, in the leadership team allowing you to do that because yeah. they see the they see the investment that that's going to pay off them. I think one of the um, one of the things that's going around at the moment is this collaboration, like sharing of good practice and having time allocated to that. So rather than having like a two-hour stuffy meeting on a Tuesday night where everyone sits down and tries to share it, they try and build that into the teaching curriculum. Yeah. I think if that was utilized a little bit more and actually, you know, then you've got something measurable and trackable at the end of it rather than people just looking and observing other people's lessons. Yeah. Um, actually coming in and sitting down and going, right, okay, let's let's get some of this stuff designed and built. Mm. Um, again, going going back to the that particular example is yeah, they did have an in-house team to design all that stuff. Um, and yeah, they did quite a lot of research in the way that it was all laid out and that kind of thing, but it's not beyond a normal teacher or even a student to to be able to to publish these things and get these things yeah. out there and try it try it and see what happens yeah i think the other thing to, to remember is so most teachers will already have the content they need yeah so you know if you've been teaching for a number of years you'll have you know, reams and reams of content that you can draw upon you just need to basically copy it out of wherever it is at the moment word documents powerpoint pdfs yeah. put it in a centralized place and begin sorting through it uh, and it becomes then a much more manageable process, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 no, totally agree. Totally um, agree. So I think to to wrap this one up, um, I think the thing I took away from this this project, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the next ones go, I think the next one's in Norway next year, um, was the different at attitudes from the other educators. So obviously, you know, we're based in England. Um, we deal with 99% of schools are obviously English. And... Yeah, I think sometimes a lot of schools talk a good game about pedagogy, but they probably don't invest in it as much yeah, yeah. as they realize. For the amount of technology we have, um, going across and meeting a lot of these German schools, I found it interesting at the breakout sessions where I got chatting to guys was, you know, these guys are asking about the pedagogy, you know, the scientific models behind why this works. And they were asking for proof as well, which I thought yeah. was quite interesting. But then when you come to so try and understand about their situation at the moment, most of them had maybe 20, 30, up to 50 iPads for their scores. And some of these schools were near a thousand students. So I thought it was very interesting that these guys were asking th these questions at such an early stage, when usually these don't come up to a much later stage in the UK, if they ever come up at all. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was just a you know, sort of puzzling question I went away with about why that is a cultural difference. So why are European educators more focused on um, yeah, the but, science or the thought behind yeah. it, yeah, as opposed to the actual. When device. we seem to be quite technology-led in the UK. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they, you know, how they av advertise and market those devices, and um, you know the, that kind of approach, and what the sales companies do, and how their angle is on it, and yeah. you know all that. Again, it's that whole ethos, isn't it? The whole attitude towards that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I came away with was that. You know, and this was like one of the, this was the first in a series of these 
but it was the focus on the the new teacher mm-hmm. um, and the desire for the the project to have a, a an impact over the next two years or so, which it will definitely have. Um, but the thing that struck me was there was a clear, and I, I suppose it's the next there'll be another focus or a change of focus with it. But it's it's in the UK for me. I can see these NQTs and coming into the you know into the the fold of education. And having minimal impact with it because they've got the the skills and everything and they're chomping at the bit. Yeah. But actually, the schools and and again, Sean back to you know when we we're talking to Sean about the the teachers that he was producing and going out into schools. You know, when I asked him about you know what what are they finding, and they're actually finding that the leaders in the schools aren't as clued up as the new teachers that are coming in, and I think mm-hmm. that's going to be the limit. So really, it needs to be there needs to be a clear focus on getting the leaders in education upskilled. Yeah. In in how these devices can work and and you know all that kind of stuff to actually drive it through, um, but no, it was, it was a fantastic couple of days. Really was really cool, brilliant. So um, I think we'll finish up there. That's that brings that one nicely to an end. So if you want to find out more um, about this project or you know the MTTP project, uh, we've got a blog up on our website about it. So you can find that at um, learnmaker.co.uk. Uh, If you want to chat to either of us direct, uh, ask us any questions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, whether you agree or disagree with us. Um, You can find James on Twitter at? At The Learnmaker. And I'm at LearnmakerJ. And until next time, uh, thanks for tuning and listening. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Learnmaker podcast at learnmaker.co.uk.